The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Summer here at Sure Foundation, we've been working week by week by week through the book of Ruth underneath the sermon title, Bittersweet. And we have finally made it to Ruth chapter 3. We're going to take the whole chapter today. Some interesting facts about this chapter. This is the only time in the Bible where a woman proposes marriage to a man. Pretty interesting thing. 18 verses long. And almost God seems to disappear except in a couple of key spots. Let me read it for you. Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, you will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then, Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and covered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a garden redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed me earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a garden redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. 
This is the word of the Lord. So, I'm not sure that this would have been my plan. I mean, this is a risky plan. Some have called it a risque plan. And this is how Naomi sort of laid the plan out for Ruth. She said, you know that guy who noticed you while you were working in the fields? He's our kinsman redeemer, and I want him to marry you. So this is what you're going to do. Go wash up, because I can smell you from over here. And then put on perfume. You know that perfume that smells like the beach. Then, I want you to put on your best clothes. He needs to know that you're available. And no longer in mourning. And this, now this is the part that you really need to get right, Ruth. You need to go down to the threshing floor and wait till he has just enough to drink. You know, that happy place where, where you just sort of feel good. And then I need you to notice where he lies down. Notice where he lies down. Mark it in your brain so that when it gets into the deepest part of the night that you can go over, uncover his feet, and he'll wake up, not with a shout, but he'll wake up just because he got cold feet. And that is going to be your moment, Ruth. That is going to be your moment when a man and a woman, a bachelor, in the middle of the night, wakes up and smells this perfume that smells like the ocean. And it's at that moment, Ruth, when I want you to do whatever he tells you. And Ruth says, okay. <laughs> now that's a risky plan. And I, I got to tell you, as... As a father of three children, I've got problems with this plan. Now, first of all, I can't even imagine sending my kids out looking like a prom date, smelling like the ocean. I mean, I can't, even, I can't even wrap my brain around that. And you might say, with good reason, well, pastor, you've got to get used to that idea because it's going to happen. I'd say you're probably right. But what about the fact that this was a date that was supposed to happen at 2 a.m. And what about the fact that this was a date that was supposed to happen at the threshing floor? And we all know what happens at threshing floors, right? People are imbibing and people are thinking about fertility. I mean, let's just be honest about it. And what about the fact that your mother taught you with good reason that nothing happens that is good after midnight? And what about the fact that this plan culminates in one man and one woman sharing the same blanket in the middle of the night and nobody is watching? Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that, that this thing could have gone way wrong. I mean, for, for so many reasons, this thing could have turned out absolutely horrible. Boaz could have woke up and said, prostitute, 
He really could have, or, or Boaz could have woken up and his sinful nature could have taken control of him. And the worst thing could have happened, or maybe two people underneath these extreme circumstances could have just let it go, you know, in the worst possible way. I mean, this thing could have went sideways as quick as can be. This was a risky plan. And we need to admit that, and we might even need to say that this was risque. And so this is where I am. I'm pacing in my office, literally like a caged tiger. I'm pacing in my office, and I'm thinking, now what am I supposed to say about this? What am I supposed to give to God's people on the basis of Ruth chapter 3? Because this is, this is a plan that, that none of us would have agreed with. And I thought, you know, I don't want any parent walking out of here thinking today, well, now we've got God's plan of how to marry off our daughters. Don't think that for even a minute. And I don't want any single people walking out there thinking, well, now I've got a biblical example of spending the night with a guy. As long as nobody knows about it, and as long as nothing really happens, it's okay. Let me tell you this. It's not okay. Not, not even for a little bit. Your mother was right when she said, you, nothing good happens after midnight. And the Apostle Paul was even more right when he said, let not even a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality be among you. And I don't want leaders of families or leaders of churches to go home thinking, you know what, okay, I got it now. We're going to put together a risky plan that's got so many holes in it that only God, only God could make it turn out all right. That's not what the Spirit is pushing out here either. So I'm pacing into my office and I'm thinking, well, what can I share with God's people? What is the Holy Spirit giving us for today? And I suppose we should start by saying this. We're not supposed to get judgy with Naomi here. We're not supposed to, to become like some Old Testament Pontius Pilate and, and, and sit there on our high horse saying, you know what Naomi really should have done? The obvious thing to do was to just go and knock on Boaz's door. Right? I mean, that's what I would have done. I would have just went and talked to the guy and said, you know what, Boaz, we've got a problem here. Ruth needs to get married. We both need something to eat. Could you please marry Ruth? That's what I would have done. But the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to get all judgy and Pontius Pilate on poor old Naomi. He doesn't. In fact, I searched this scripture, this whole passage, for a long time, and I thought, does the narrator ever come down on Naomi for this sort of risque plan? And he doesn't. He leaves it like it's a morally ambiguous thing that, that Naomi is doing here. He doesn't come down on her at all, and neither, neither should we? Because this, this is a woman who's begun to hope again. 
You see her trajectory from chapter 1? From chapter 1, she is completely hopeless again. But now here we meet her again in chapter 3, and she is hoping. She is believing. She is thinking God can put His hand on this thing and do something amazing. And I don't think that we should stand in judgment of a person who is trying again. But I think we should stand in judgment of someone who's not trying. And who is not stepping out in faith. And I think that is an application that we can make for ourselves because Am I right about this? That as adults, one of the lessons that we learn is to give up. Because we've done it before. And we've seen it fail. And we think, well, God's not going to put his hand on it. He didn't before. You know, I was, I was thinking about that. I was, we were sweating in Indiana this last week. We went to a family reunion. We were, it was 90 degrees, and the humidity was unbearable, and we decided to go fishing in the middle of the afternoon. And, and you could criticize that plan. I criticize it because you're supposed to fish in the morning, right? Cast after cast. We're throwing the bait in the water all over this lake that was supposed to be stocked. And after a while, we just gave up. We sent the kids back in. Not a single bite. And if there's any, if there's any part of you that, that resonates with that, that thinks, you know, I've tried that. I've done that. I'm done trying. Then maybe... You need this story today. Because let me tell you about a woman who lost her husband, and then her son, and then her other son, and then she gets so bitter that she said, don't call me sweet anymore, call me bitter. Let me tell you about a woman then who began to hope again. Who began to see that yes, the Lord does live. Let me tell you about a woman who then decided to put together a plan that only God could bless. And then maybe you can start to hope again. Because here's what Naomi knew. And here's what Ruth knew. And here's what Boaz knew. He knew it to the bottom of his heart so much so that he swore it. Yes, he swore it. He said, as surely as the Lord lives. Does he live? They knew it. Let me tell you something. You know it better than they do. You do. You know that the Lord lives who died. You know that He came back not only from death, but hell. 
And he did that all for you. You know that the Lord doesn't just live sort of in some spiritual sense so far away from us that he could never and he would ever, never intervene in our lives. He lives. And so what is going to shake you out of the spiritual paralysis that says, I'm not going to try again. I'm not going to step out in faith. It's this. You need to know that the Lord lives and that He can put on His, His hand on a plan that was bound to fail. So it's time now. I want to send you back out again. But I want to send you back out again today spiritually resurrected and ready to try again. Ready to hope again. Ready to risk again. Ready to plan again. Ready to to strategize and, and to put something together to make whatever it is that you are in despair about changed. And I know that you already know that. Because I've seen you live that way. I, I've seen it. I've, I've, seen, I've seen this in our congregation. I've seen someone for years and years and years apply to jobs and never get one and then decide to go to school again and then get the next two jobs that they applied for. I've seen that. Now, that's hope. I have seen, I have seen a couple in this congregation struggle with infertility for years. And then I've gone to the hospital and held their baby in my arms. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen someone who is really bad at school, they said, and they have racked up student loans, and guess what? They've never even gotten a bachelor's degree. But they have, they have enrolled in school again. Now that is hope. Where does that come from? It is knowing that the Lord can bless. Now I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that when you try again, it will certainly change the outcome. But what I, say, what I am saying is this, as surely as the Lord lives, and He does live, now is not the time to get 